0: Lord Jesus, um, I'm extremely tired, and I pray for your grace right now. Um, we pray that you would reveal your glory in this time. Pray that you would encourage us. Pray that you would sanctify us. And um, ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, good news, if you get bored today, we have a bed on the stage. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, you can just go take a snoozer, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn it up a notch. Um, would, uh, Dan, would you mind closing that door? The, thanks so much. Um Okay, so a uh, couple announcements. First, kids, if you want to apply for, a le- senior high kids, if you want to apply for a leadership position next year, uh, see Sarah or me get an application. They're due next Monday. Um, you can ask me more about what that all means. Second thing, remember the first week how I did that survey and I asked how many years collectively have you been in the church? How many lessons have you had taught on heaven and or the restored earth? And so I I added up the numbers, and we had a collective 2,800 years of church experience in the room the first week, and we had a total estimated of 111 lessons taught on heaven amongst 2,800 years uh, of collective church experience. So that means you're, (laughs) my very informal survey, uh, suggests that you're likely to hear a lesson in a church once every 25 years on heaven and the restored earth. So that means you're, you're clean for the next 75 years. <laughs> you're good for the next 75 years. Uh, just to review uh, the, this, this, uh, what we're doing with this series is um, I, I have a child who lives in heaven. And uh, he um, has been there for 18 months. And, um, and so as a product of that, Uh, I think about heaven a lot more than I ever did. Heaven is a much more real, concrete place for me. And uh, what I've noticed in reading uh, the epistles, which are the the letters written by the apostles in the Bible, um, is that they thought about heaven a lot. They mention it and reference it all the time. And I have seen parallels in how my life has changed by having a much more concrete uh, conception of heaven and, and more of a frequent meditation on heaven Uh, and I've parallels between that and and how it impacted the apostles. And, uh, and, you know, and and again, it makes sense for the the apostles thought about this because they lived with Jesus, they saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus risen, and they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. So they saw their buddy, you know, going up into the sky. And, uh, and so it makes sense to them that it was very real as well as in the same way that it is for me. So, first week, we just talked a little bit about what heaven, what heaven is. Uh, and talked about some of the nuances of heaven and the restored earth. And then the second week, we talked about how it is that thinking about heaven gives comfort to those who are in suffering. That was last week. This week, we're going to talk about how it is that heaven sanctifies us, how heaven makes us more like Christ. I'm going to define what sanctification means in a minute. Um, I hate to use churchy language. Um, But here's the thing. I think there is a, a temptation... Uh, to think that if you think about heaven all the time, you're going to come out of touch with life on earth, right? You're just going to be hyper-spiritual. Your head's going to be in the clouds. You're going to ignore you know, what you need to be doing on this earth. You're going to ignore the problems of this world. And, uh, and consequently, you're going to be less effective as a Christian if your mind is constantly set on things above, as uh, Paul uh, exhorts the Colossians to do in Colossians 3. And C.S. Lewis, what he says is that it's actually the opposite. The more you think about heaven, the more it transforms you in this life as a Christian. The more you think about heaven, uh, the more focused you will be on uh, on your mission as a Christian to be a part of God's redemption of the world. And this is what uh, C.S. Lewis says in *Mere Christianity*. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And so, uh, one in particular, one of these figures that he references is William Wilberforce, who was an evangelical Christian who was the primary leader in dismantling the slave trade in England and the, the, the British Empire, and that carried over to the United States. He was probably the greatest agent of, of social justice in world history. And you see in his memoirs and in his personal theology that William Wilberforce was consumed with heaven. He thought about it all the time. Uh, he says, uh, in, in, one, in one of his memoirs, he says, Christ should be a Christian's delight and glory. I will endeavor, by God's help, to excite in myself an anticipation and longing for the joys of heaven. And then a, a theologian, uh, he went on to say, it's, it, was, it was common for evangelicals in that period to hold a postmillennial eschatology No need to get into what that is, uh, which awaited the Lord's return in the middle distance. In the meantime, therefore, we had to roll up our sleeves and get on with the work of making a difference. Just as sinners could be liberated from their sins by Christ, so other kinds of slavery were pernicious and needed to be abolished. And so uh, there was a when he talks about postmillennial eschatology. Not, I don't want to get into the nuances of what that means, it's really not important, but basically, uh, there was a great anticipation of the second coming of the Lord. Not in a, not in a, uh, the Aztec calendar crazy kind of way, but in a, um, but in a, you know, a real kind of sincere, uh, Christian way. And, and so there's, uh, Carrie Roberts wrote a book about, um, about, you know, about the church and, and looking at men who were, uh, who were just passionate about seeing the redemption of the world. And he synopsized William Wilberforce's personal theology in this way. He said, Wilberforce's vital Christianity was centered on two great theologies. Restoration eschatology, which that's the finished work of Christ, so the gospel, uh, and the Spirit's eschatological work. So basically, the coming of the kingdom, uh, the, the nearing the day when Christ will return and perfect the world. And so so that's how he uh, encapsulates Wilberforce's theology. So today, what we're going to talk about is how it is that thinking about heaven, having a a large personal theology of heaven and meditating upon it, how it sanctifies you, and we're going to think about how is it that we enjoy, uh, how we make our existence on this earth as much like our existence will be in heaven and the restored earth as possible. That's kind of what we're gunning for. Um, so now, to to get to uh, move away from Christian uh, jargon, uh, what what am I talking about when I talk about sanctification? Well, if you were kind of to break down the phases of a Christian's life, uh, before a person uh, you know comes into relationship with Jesus, seeks seeks forgiveness of sins through Christ, a person is in sin, and then when a person comes into relationship with Jesus, they are justified. That's justification. That is a moment. That's not a process. That is a that is something that happens when a person comes into a relationship with Christ. And so, you know, to be justified means you are right with God. Uh, your sins are forgiven. You're perfectly acceptable to the Father. And so, you know, your your future home is heaven. Well, then glorification, that's the fourth phase, is when you actually go to heaven. Or if we're here when Christ comes back, that'd be cool if that happened this afternoon. I'd be I'd be game. Um, uh, that's, that's what glorification is. The, the, the period in the middle between your justification and your glorification is sanctification. And that is the process by which you are becoming, God is changing you into a person who is more like Christ. Uh, you are uh, becoming uh, more humble. You're becoming more aware of your sin and your need for Jesus. Um, hopefully, by God's grace, we're bearing more fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. Um love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness. One of you guys who went to VBS could say them all for me because you had to sing that song. Um but um but yeah, you're bearing more of the fruit of the spirit. You're becoming more empathetic, more compassionate, more concerned about other people. And so and that's by the way, that if you're you know, that uh, the, when you start to say those things, people are like, I'm not really seeing that happen in my life. Uh it's a very that's a very subtle, slow, invisible process. And quite honestly, I think one of the primary marks of sanctification is that you're actually becoming more aware of your sin and your selfishness. And so, in some ways, you may feel like you're getting worse, um, but God's at work in your life. He knows. He knows. He, he knows the work that He's doing. Um, Philippians 2: uh, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So anyhow, so uh, so with that being said, we're going to look first at how uh, how it is that um, how does it thinking about heaven sanctifies you. How it changes you as a person, and the primary text we're going to work from is uh, Philippians chapter one, uh, verses uh, 18, well 19 through 26. Um, this is now keep in mind Paul is writing from prison. Paul has <laughs> Paul has gone through a lot. Uh, Paul, I was thinking about this yesterday. Paul is kind of like James Bond. You know, every scene you think he's about to die. You know, you think it's over, or Jason Bourne, right? and then just you know emerges from the car wreck or you know el- eludes 70 people with AK47s pointing at his head and uh and Paul was kind of that way i mean you know beaten thrown in prison shipwrecks you know target out on his head he, he you know he paul was constantly in travail and so he's writing this from prison he says you can see basically he has this tension between wanting to be in heaven but feeling this sense of i need to be here on earth he says, yes, I, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he has this expectation of glory. He has this, um, this expectation that uh, eternal life awaits him. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, it, And he'll go on the next to say, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. So basically, as he's weighing whether he wants to be in heaven or wants to be on earth, he says, if, I, if, if God keeps me on this earth, if I survive, then that means fruitful labor. That means service for the Lord. Um, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two he wants to be in heaven so bad he says my desire is to, to to depart and be with christ for that is far better so that's a better experience right i mean heaven is obviously a whole lot better than earth um but he comes back to say but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account on your account the people in the church of philippi to whom he is writing this letter so it's i want to be in heaven but i i need to stick this out i need to be here because I, I am I am really concerned, I want to invest in your life. And he gives a little more detail on that. He says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so he the last thing he says is, I will remain and continue for your progress, for your sanctification and joy in the faith. Um, so, The two themes we're going to see here are as he's as he wants to be in heaven, his justification for it being better for him to stay here is uh, is service to the Lord and sanctification. Um, And so what you're going to see is uh, I've just been blown away by this. You're going to see when the very often when the apostles are talking about heaven or talking about expecting the coming of the Lord, they'll immediately talk about repentance from sin they'll immediately talk about holiness. And so we're going to look at a few examples of that here. Paul in Philippians 2, he goes on, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, he's talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is talking about the second coming. That's that's an image of the second coming when every knee will bow, and confess that jesus christ is lord then he immediately says therefore okay my conclusive point therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, going back to the second coming of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So again, he says, all right, Jesus is coming. We're expecting that. We're hoping for that. Quit complaining. Repent from complaining. (laughs) All right, next. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he is some, Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong slide. Um, he is saying something very similar to what Paul says in Colossians three. If you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he's saying, set your heart, um, seek, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whether that's when you go to heaven or when Christ returns. Then he says as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy okay so again he's talking about set your set your mind and your heart and your expectation on heaven the grace that you'll have when Christ returns or when you see Christ face to face in his glory and then be holy okay see that again all right 1 Timothy chapter 4 have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. for while bodily training is of some value, godliness of value in every way it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. okay Again, more talk of the life to come and repentance. And one final scripture, and I could rattle off 15 of these. I mean there are, there are tons of these references. Uh, Timothy again says in chapter six, first Timothy. Sorry, Paul says again, in uh, chapter six of First Timothy. But as for you, O man of uh, man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. Okay, so here we go from repent from all these things, and he's saying take hold of eternal life. Okay, the life that awaits you in heaven, to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and freed from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So the point's been made pretty clearly that the apostles very often, when they talked about about sanctification, they talked about heaven, or they talked about the second coming of Christ, and when they talked about heaven and the second coming of Christ, they talked about repentance and sanctification. All right. And so the question is like, why? Why is that? Why is there such a tight correlation in the apostolic mindset between heaven and repentance from sin? Okay? Well, first off, a couple of motivations, and you see this in in, in the letters of the apostles. You see, number one, is they expected Jesus to come. They had this mindset that you know, he could come today. He could come today for us. This is not a, you know, a unique mindset. And so they they kind of, you know, it's kind of like if your boss comes into the office, you want to be doing a good job. Um, one time when I was a lifeguard, uh, when I was 16 years old, I, I you know, the, fortunately it was, great. it was a good day at the pool because a kid had pooped in the pool. And that means uh, no one's going to come to the pool, but you have to stay at the pool to tell people, sorry, the pool's closed, right? I'm on the clock, I'm getting paid, right? I'm drinking Coca-Cola afternoon, uh, but I don't have to do any work, right? It was awesome. Um, so, uh, <laughs> not so awesome when you're the parent who takes the kid to the pool, as I am now, and, you know, you've spent the 45 minutes to get the bathing suits and the swim diaper on and all this kind of stuff, and you get there and they have pool closed, you know, sanitation concern. <laughs> um, but anyhow... Uh, And I was, you know, I was, I uh, was a 16 year old and I was just laying out, taking a nap on a cot on the pool deck. (laughs) And I feel this tap on my shoulder. It was the club manager. Hey, what's going on here? (laughs) Right. And so uh, and so anyhow, not in the not in the way that you're kind of afraid of your boss. But they did have this this mindset of like, hey, when when Jesus comes back, I want to I want to be I want to be living my life in a way that would please him. Um, Secondly they um they also you know had a healthy fear of the lord you know god is holy he's a holy god and so uh yeah and so that that is that is a motivation for wanting to repent from sin and so but you know but why is it here that they, when they talk about heaven that there's this connection to uh to repentance and sanctification and here's the thing notice that paul in philippians 1:25 that first text we looked at mm-hmm. notice that he says uh, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress, for your sanctification, and joy in the faith. Okay? So he, they you've got to think about this. Sorry, this is going to get a little complicated. Got to stick with me here because there's a lot of intricacies to this. But um, basically, they saw repentance. They saw a strong connection between repentance and joy. Uh, they wanted to maximize their joy. Um, and so, promise, I'm going to get there. And so they basically wanted their life on earth to be as much like their life in heaven as possible, right? And so repentance is a big part of that. Here's why. Okay, and, and, and the question we're seeking here is how do we make our, we make our life on earth as much as it's like it's going to be in heaven, okay? So uh, first off, we ask the question, what makes heaven heaven? What is different about heaven than earth, okay? Well, one of the things is there's no evil in heaven. The serpent, Satan, is not there. No force of evil in heaven. Secondly, uh, there there are no uh, effects of the fall. Death, sickness, sadness, fear, all the effects of of the fall are gone, right? We can't do anything about that here. You know, evil is here until Christ comes back. The effects of the fall are here until the second coming. We can't control that. But what else is a part of heaven that we do have some that does fall within our realm of control, okay? Well, in heaven, you cannot sin. You are unable to sin in heaven. That's part of what makes heaven, heaven. That's what's di- that's one of the things that's different between the Garden of Eden and being in heaven or in the restored earth. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were both able to sin and able not to sin. Okay? Uh, and there's this thing called the Augustinian fourfold state of man. And it basically goes through, uh, in a fancy, la- fancy language, seminary class, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it basically talks about what is your capacity to sin and not to sin, in the phases of, of your Christian life. And so, you know, before you're a believer, you're not able not to sin. After you become a believer, you again are able to sin, but also able not to sin. If, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're able to say no to sin, all right? Uh, but when you're in heaven, you are no longer able to sin. So, characteristic number one, uh, sorry, characteristic number three of your experience in heaven, that you're not able to sin, well, part of wanting a life on this earth that resembles heaven is repenting from sin. Think about it. If you were in heaven, uh, you're not going to want to sin. I mean, you can't sin, but you wouldn't want to anyhow, right? Uh, if sin was on the table for you in heaven, you would you'd be like, uh uh-huh, no way, because you are enjoying perfect intimacy with Christ. And you're seeing God's glory, and to sin, the it, sin inherently sep- creates separation. It creates separation and broken relationship between us and God. It creates broken relationship between us and other people, and it creates broken relationship between us and ourself. Okay, and so if if they, if the apostles who saw Jesus. Uh, you know in his glorified form they saw him before you know he was i'm sure jesus was completely spectacular before his death but after his death jesus was probably an an unbelievable sight to see um and they saw him they had this close connection with jesus they were like to sin is to walk away from that to sin is to separate myself divorce myself from that experience i had all right this is clear okay anybody have a question Cool. All right. So, fourth characteristic of heaven is that we experience we we experience our full union with Christ. Now, I talk. I know that's really we we uh, acknowledge this in the first lesson that union with Christ is very abstract. And I use the image that union with Christ, uh, which is a huge huge concept in the New Testament. Uh, in, the, in the apostles in their letters, they talk about union with Christ by using this terminology in Christ, in Jesus Christ, in the glory of Christ. Uh, They use it over a hundred times. Paul himself uses it over a hundred times. And so part of uh, the glory of heaven is that you will experience your union with Christ. All right? And on earth, because we are still sinners, because we're still in the fallen earth, we, uh, we don't fully experience that oneness we have with Christ. Again, the image I used was of a husband and a wife or on their on their wedding day, marriage ceremony, on their honeymoon, there is this there's this exuberant joy that they experience on their wedding day because they feel so connected. They become one. They become one, right? And so it's a similar thing in our uh, in our relationship with God, our union, in the same way of a, a husband husband and a wife have that joy on their wedding day. Um, we are one with Christ, okay? And when you're in heaven. It's like you know that husband-wife coming together, wedding day, honeymoon experience times a million. And so, um, and so here's the thing, Lauren, would you come up? Embarrassing moment for my poor wife. All right, so here's the thing. To make this highly abstract concept a little more concrete, this is my wife, Lauren. We've been married for seven and a half years. All right, so we are one, right? We've we've been married, we've made the covenant, it's been married, we are one. Uh, that, is, that is a theological reality. So, union with Christ, if you're a believer, you become one with Christ. That is a theological, spiritual reality. Now, it's one thing for it to be a theological reality, and it's another thing for it to be an experienced reality, right? Uh, there's a joy in experiencing union with Christ. There's a joy in experiencing union with your spouse. And so, Lauren, come here. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Hugs feel good, right? Yeah? Okay, that is us experiencing our union as husband and wife, our oneness as husband and wife. I'm not going to ask her to kiss me. I, I suggested that earlier. And uh, and she's like, Cameron, come on. Um, but so us hugging is a way that we, you know, go beyond just the, the theoretical and the theological union, and we actually are experiencing it get a little more sugar, yeah, there you go, um, experiencing, right, okay, you can sit down, thank you, I could, I could hug you the whole time, you're that cute, um, but anyhow, and so in a similar way, uh, in a similar way, we want to experience our union with Christ as much as possible, and, uh, and sin stands in the way of that, uh, sin creates separation, not oneness, uh, and and it creates distance, and so that is why. And you remember, this first text we looked at. Oops, sorry. The first text. Wait a minute. More rats. How about you? Um. Well, the first text we looked at was Colossians, right? And this is the this is this this has the most vivid language about seeking heaven. Uh, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um. Uh, set your heart not on earthly things, but on things that are above. For you have died and you are hidden, hidden in Christ with God. So talking about union with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, he says that. And then he immediately goes into repentance from sin. He immediately says, repent from this and repent from this and repent from this and repent from this and repent from this. And here's the thing. A lot of, you know, repentance... A lot of times, we understand repentance as just not sinning. That's, kinda, I, that's what I grew up with. I kind of grew up with, uh, I remember a Sunday school teacher saying, it's doing a 180. You're just turning away from sin. Just turning away from sin. Okay? That is, not, that is not a full biblical understanding of repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin, saying no to sin, and moving towards Jesus. Moving towards intimacy with Jesus. That is biblical repentance. And so, yes, the first part of that is repentance, turning away from sin. Um, but, um, but, uh, but a complete repentance is you're turning towards Jesus. You're seeking the joy of intimacy with Jesus, of experiencing your union with Christ in the same here and now in the same way that you will in heaven. All right, anybody have any questions at this point? I know this has been really convoluted and uh, you know uh, the- theological and blah 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 um but anyhow so here's here's the thing i would say um if you're if for a person who's not a christian a lot of people who have grown up outside the church and kind of viewed christianity from a distance or who've grown up in bad churches sorry to put it that way but grown up in kind of uh, fundamentalist or legalistic type environments you know you see christianity very moralistically you see it as a, a list of rules like don't drink don't have premarital sex be nice um you know Advocate republican causes whatever it is <laughs> that you see you can see Christianity as a list of rules and I would say that's 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 true for young Christians too i mean isn't that the the dilemma of every teenage christian and every college student Christian is like why does God not want me to have any fun why is he saying not to do these things right and you and here's the thing is uh sure there is a moral aspect to Christianity I'm not downplaying that at all that's absolutely true i mean Because the Bible says not to is a good enough reason not to do something. And it's not going to be very effective at helping you repent from sin. Um, But thinking about repentance from sin as maximizing your joy in Christ, that is actually a more biblical way to think about it. And it's a far more inspiring and effective way to think about it. So if you're the ninth grader who's getting ready to go into high school, or you're the twelfth grader who's getting ready to go to college, and you know it's going to be the best four years of your life defined as, uh you know, lots of binge drinking and lots of promiscuous sex. Because I mean, let's be honest, that's what ninety five percent of people going into college are thinking about when they're thinking about college. Well, the apostles would sit there and they would say, think of all the joy that you're forfeiting. Think of all the joy that you're forfeiting by uh basically pre in a predetermined manner saying, I'm not I'm just gonna just gonna do things that are unbiblical for four years. Hey, I know that every, almost everyone did that. So I don't want anyone to feel condemned by that. Like, God's grace is big. But I'm speaking to, to ninth graders and twelfth graders who are getting ready to go into, like, debauchery central. And and what I would say is is that uh, we're not just, we, you know, we're not saying don't do it because the Bible says so. Don't do it because that's wrong. We're saying we think there's something better in experiencing your union with Christ and experiencing the joy of being close to Jesus. That's why we're encouraging you to not to gossip and not to make uh, a god of your iPhone or your gaming system or you know or your college resume or whatever it is, because we think that there is greater joy found in Jesus, and I would like to tell you that I have become just so much more holy as a person since my child died, and such I think about heaven um, but I am I'm, you know when someone cuts me off on two eighty i 'm still i'm still honking the horn and screaming at him and bad words just might come out of my mouth. so so let's just you know let's just keep it real in terms of of expectations. So bringing it back to me having a child who lives in heaven, why you know how is it that I have I do kind of have a heightened uh, view of repentance. Um, and here is why like my connection between me and my child is Jesus. Uh, you know that is my only connection with my child. I have I have photos and things like that. But in a real way, I used this image uh, the first week. You know, uh, I am one with Christ. I am in Christ through my union with Christ. My son is in Christ through his union with Christ. So Jesus Jesus is the rallying point in my relationship with my child right now. So the closer I am to Jesus, the closer I am to my son. The more connected I feel to Jesus, the more connected I feel to my child. I kind of use that image of Jesus is the oak tree. And it 's a really big oak tree, and i 'm embracing that oak tree from one side. My child is embracing the oak tree from the other side. I cannot see him um, but I want to i want I want to be as connected to that oak tree as possible, and the oak tree again is jesus and so um so yeah, and then another thing too is uh you know uh, i I know that i kind of have i 've had fun with this class I listened to the last class i 'm like good night'm talking about you know. The death of a child and I'm talking about suffering and all this kind of stuff. And I probably cracked like 25 jokes um, and, and laughed and it was fun. And, and anyhow, but I mean, gr- you know, grief is miserable. It's absolutely miserable. I mean, I, I kind of polished it up for the class, but I mean, behind, you know, in my heart, my, there's still a very, very deep sadness, you know, most days. And so, um, and so the part of the power of Christianity is that, and this is, this is, this is to me, one of the most inspiring, convincing things about the Christian faith. If there was ever a reason to get on board, I would say it's for this, is that you can have joy in terrible circumstances. I can be, a, I, I, can experience deep joy even in the midst of deep grief. And, And joy, the joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantially dependent. When things are bad, you're probably not going to be happy. But with joy, no matter how bad things are, even if you're in prison like Paul, even if you're still just, you know, 18 months removed from the death of your child, you can still have deep joy. And I will say that my ge- my joy in my life has never been greater than since my child died. The joy in my life. The misery has definitely never been greater, but the joy has also never been greater. And so for me, I want to seek to maximize my joy um, because circumstances are just still not very much fun. Not very much fun. Um, so last thing is uh, how is it that How is it that thinking about heaven motivates us towards good works? I know I just used a four-letter word at the church of the Advent, good work. Um, but we're going to talk about that. And we talk about good works. You know, people can get kind of caught up or nervous about using that terminology because a lot of times we can think about either our salvation being dependent upon our performance and our good works, which that's not the case. We're we're, you know, come into a relationship with God. Through, by grace alone, through faith alone. It's purely by you know, God's forgiveness. That's, that's how we're accepted by God. And we can get the idea that God's disposition towards us, how he feels about us, changes based on whether we're doing good or whether we're doing bad. And, uh, and that's, that's not the case. God's, God's pleasure with us is constant because we have become like Christ through faith in Christ. He's made us righteous. So, so just to kind of dispel some of the things that make us nervous, but good works are... Dot, 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 Good. <laughs> and so um, notice, uh, well, never mind. I'm getting pretty low on time, so I'm going to speed this up. But notice that Paul says in Philippians 1, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So Paul is thinking about how, um, you know, if he's going to be on earth, then what it's going to be about is being fruitful for the Lord. I'll just tell you about a month after Cam died, I was at my in-law's house in Greenville and I was just having one of the worst days. One of the the darkest, most uh, despair-filled days of grief. And it was kind of depicted, I had my completely ratty uh, New England Patriots Bill Belichick hoodie on and I had on sweatpants, hadn't taken a shower. And I'm not kidding you, I probably moped around the neighborhood, just walking around the neighborhood for hours. And the thing that was going on in my consciousness is like, I just really don't want to be here. Like, I am not excited about being alive. Uh, I'm 35. If I'm here for 50 years, that sounds like torture. That sounds awful. And so I just kept on kind of, uh, and you know, that, that's not, I'm not saying like I was suicidal or thinking of checking out or anything like that. I was just like, I'm, I don't want to be here. And I definitely don't want to be here for 50 more years. And so I was just couldn't come up with, uh, I was trying to find some kind of, um to to you know be like oh yeah I'm here for a reason or this is worth living, and uh, I was sitting in bed that night and um it was as if the Lord kind of in a mystical way said hey if if you really wanted to go like it's completely within my power to take you like you can go you want to go <laughs> it was almost like <laughs> as I was kind of sitting there in prayer it was almost like the Lord was calling my bluff and he's like I, I yeah hey like every breath you have is a is a measure of mercy for me. So if you want out of here, you can you can go right now, really. And uh, as that, and you know, I don't know what it was about that moment, but it felt like it was a real offer. Um, I don't, you know, I wasn't having heart palpitations or anything like that, but but it felt real in the moment. And I was immediately like, no, I don't want to go. Like I want to be here. Like I have children that I want to raise to know the Lord, and I have kids in my youth group that I love. Who I want them to know the hope, the the hope and the joy of Jesus, and I you know, and I have things that the Lord has given me to do that uh, I want to I want to do those things, and uh, I want to stick this out. And so the thing that immediately came to my mind, like why, like Paul said, for me to, for me to be in heaven would be better, but you know, but actually I want to be here because it's fruitful labor, and because I want to see your progress in, in the faith and the joy of Christ. And, uh, and the same, the same justification for why is worth, why is life worth living? That is what came out of my mouth. That is what came to my heart was, no, I want to serve the Lord. I will have a trillion years with my child in heaven. I only have 50 years here on earth. Uh, that is not that long, relatively speaking. And, uh, and like, I am incredibly grateful for God's graciousness, that my child made a profession of faith the afternoon before he died, that that I have this, like, certainty of my child's salvation, this certainty of my reunion with my child and him, I am super grateful that the Lord has revealed himself to me, and, like, I, I want to serve him, and I don't mean to sound self-righteous, but that is just honestly, at the bottom of the pit, the thing that came to my mind, and so, um, uh, I have all, all kinds of stuff I'm going to skip here, and I'm just going to close it out just kind of anecdotally. Uh, I, here's the thing, guys. If any of us could go up to heaven today for 30 minutes and, and then come back down and live the rest of your life, what would you, what do you think your life would be focused on? What do you think you would come out of heaven having seen the full glory of Jesus, all the beauty that emanates in the world, flowing out of this person in a way you have never seen before? A euphoric joy that you have never come close to tapping into? If you were to be up in heaven and see that and come back to earth, do you think you're, you would say, okay, I've seen the glory of God, and now we've got to get marble finishes on our counter. It's got to <laughs> happen. All right. Hey, and marble finishes are awesome. They're awesome, right? Right, Miss Pounds? They are. Um, nothing wrong with marble finishes. That's, that's not, or like, you know what, I've gotta upgrade, I've gotta upgrade my car. I gotta get a Mercedes. Um, or, you know, I just, I need to tack on that degree to be more impressive to other people. Uh, or I need, you know, whatever. No, that is not the kind of things that we as people that I know as a flesh and blood man that we think, you know, that we kind of long for and we lust after, uh, that we think will really satisfy us. Those things would be so on the bottom shelf. Uh, If you were to spend 30 minutes in heaven, you would come back and you would want to tell people about Jesus. You would come back and you would want to serve and honor him. You would want to care for people. Um, You would want to be a faithful employee who who, shows the faithfulness of God in your job or in your home or at your school or on your team. Like that, that is what your mind would be set on. And uh, it would not be set on what sorority am I going to get into your mindset towards your sorority would be, okay, this is the place God's going to call me to serve. It would be. And so that is why it is so valuable to set your mind on things above. is because it gives perspective to uh, wanting to invest in eternal things, wanting to pray for people, wanting to share the gospel. When you hear a good sermon or read an edifying article that encourages you, sharing it on Facebook, that's a good piece of evangelism right there. And so... Uh, a, a practical way to go about this, and to think about this, I think a good prayer is every day to say, Lord, give me the opportunity to do good works, give me the grace and power to do them, and give me the mercy to not become self-righteous after I do them, and to not become prideful. And so so that is just a, a practical thought there. last thing I'm going to say is this, and this is probably going to be the most emotional thing, so tighten up, um, uh, but I am just like any other dad. I wanna, I wanna make, I wanna make my children proud, right? Every dad in this room knows what that's like. Every dad here, uh, wants to live a life where you're, when you're on your deathbed, your kids would say to you, I'm so, I'm so proud of my dad. My dad was a good man. My dad was an honorable man. My dad cared for me. He loved me. He was present. Uh, my dad did his job with integrity. That's what we all want, you know? That, that's, when you become a parent, uh, there's just something changes in you about the way you see your life and and you want to live in a way that's honoring to your kids. It's very different when you have a three-year-old who is glorified, who sits at the feet of Jesus every day. When you want to make that child proud, it really brings things things into focus. Because think about this. If my child were to come down and there were to be a conversation between the, the greatest theologians in the whole world, they would all be asking him the questions because he has seen the full glory of Jesus. He has the mind of Christ. And N.T. Wright and Tim Keller and John Piper and Mark Genolette, they'd all be like, Cam, tell us. (laughs) Tell us the truth. It sounds silly, but it's absolutely the truth. It's absolutely the truth. And so for me, as I think about wanting to be a dad who makes my kids proud, that includes my two living children and that includes my child who lives in heaven. And... I have a son who can see straight through my BS. I have a son who has a perfect, eternal perspective. And so one of the things I would say to the Lord sometimes in the early going, I'd say, like, Holy Father, I can't talk to Cam, but I know that you can. And I want you to tell him that I'm grateful he's in heaven and I want as many people to come with me as possible. So I'm going to close it there. All right. Okay. Um, Jesus, we uh, we honor you and we worship you. Um, we don't this talk of heaven and eternal life. We don't deserve it, Lord. Um, but you're just really good. You're just really generous and you're really gracious. And I pray that uh, I pray that for all of us that you would lead us in the way of what it means to experience this union with Christ here and now. That is a very mystical, spiritual thing, and it's just a, it's hard to know what the first step is. But, Lord, you're a teacher, and I pray that you would teach us. And I pray, too, Lord, that uh, you would constantly uh, give us eternal perspective on uh, on what's what's truly important, what's of of ultimate significance, God. And, Lord, in all of that, we know that we are just going to fail miserably. Um, We are sinners, and I'm going to walk out of this room in an hour, and I'm going to want to just consume my idols, and I'm going to want to bark at the person who cuts me off on 280. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us grace to know that we're going to stumble, stumble, stumble. But your love and your mercy, and and you yourself are are constantly with us in that. ask these words in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.